In the current climate, the real estate market, there's a lot of stress, concern. What do I do? Should I buy? Should I invest? Where? How do I do it? And it's hard enough trying to navigate an increasing market, but in a declining market when interest rates are changing and the market's changing and there is just so much noise out in the air, how do you actually navigate it? What do you do? We came up with a list of uh, 10 key considerations. I think we probably could have had a 20 part list if we want to, but if you're looking at getting involved in the market right now from a buying perspective or investment perspective, what are some of the things that you should do? What does that look like? How do you get involved? And how do you avoid certain mistakes? We talk all about that and so much more in this podcast episode that I know you're going to love. As always in our podcast, this is presented by Dean, Derek, and I, the partners and owners at Thrive Mortgage Co., where we focus on helping people create wealth in real estate. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. at the YBR Remo Show. And of course, check out our YouTube channel where we have all sorts of great content. We look forward to hearing from you. Feedback is always recommended and we appreciate it as always. So I hope you love this episode. I hope you love the show. We'll see you on the other side. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Okay, so this market has been uh, weird, to say the least. It's been up and absolutely insane, like gas, fuel, and, and everything else in the fire, and now almost the exact opposite. And this year, to say the least, has been a roller coaster the last two years, the last three years for that matter, but that's real estate. And the reality of uh, real estate is that it's always up and down, uh, but there's different strategies and tactics to consider in any market. And more specifically, in a market where there's things changing quickly and the trends are moving, it's, it's extremely important to revisit your strategies and reconsider what your plan is because what worked a month ago doesn't work today. And what worked three months ago could be completely irrelevant. What worked six months ago is in another dimension. So for that reason, we came up with 10 key considerations that we recommend that someone think about when they're looking to purchase or get involved investing in real estate in the market. Now we're again in the middle of 2022, but this could basically uh, be something to consider in a lot of markets like this where we're seeing a, a slight decline in, in interest or movement and perhaps price points and or higher interest rates. So lots happening right now. And if you're listening to this, you're either involved in the real estate industry or you're someone who's looking to purchase or consider purchasing in the next 12 months. Real estate as a whole is still something that we highly recommend considering. And in fact, I've got a great article in front of me talking about um, recommendations from all sorts of experts to consider real estate as your primary source of investment, even over GICs, especially if you're borrowing to invest. But that being said, it's not right for everyone. And there's some key things to consider. So let's get right into it. We're going to start off with talking about the rates and how to look at your interest rate because you're borrowing money as it compares to affordability. Two key considerations specifically when we're talking about interest rates increasing from where they were 12 months ago. Derek, take us away. Yeah, and just on kind of the basis of this of this show today, I think this is a really good checklist like Alex mentioned that could probably be be used in every single market with minor tweaks. I think anyone going into a new purchase really needs to consider a handful of different items before they jump in. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't. So yeah, just starting off number one, rate compared to affordability. Um, you know, prime example, we talk about this a lot, first time buyers going into this market. 
they're not as scared of a four and a half percent rate compared to the person that bought three years ago or two years ago that saw a one and a half percent rate, right? And I think that's because the first time buyer doesn't have anything to compare it to. So their main focus is affordability, right? Like what is my mortgage payment? Can I afford it every single month? Obviously digging into budgeting and principal and interest, all that stuff matters. But I think people need to get away a little bit from looking at the, the actual interest rate that's on your contract compared to the affordability aspect, especially because I think that we're on the higher end of interest rates right now. I do believe they're going to go a little bit higher, but I don't know that it's going to be dramatic. And knowing that you're getting into a mortgage and a property right now while values are down and rates are up, if it's affordable for you for the next couple of years, you're probably going to be okay because rates are probably going to go down eventually. Obviously, we don't know the timeline, but I think you really have to kind of take your eyes off the interest rate and look more so at affordability. And can I get through this for the next couple of years? Because like I mentioned, if you can, things will probably only get better as time goes on. It's important to to just remember that most of these mortgages were stress, stress tested as well. So, you know, based on government guidelines, you know, depending on when you got your mortgage, but I would assume probably you know, certainly I'd say as much as 90% of the clients we work with have been through the stress test. And and that means we're qualifying at, you know, rates that are arguably 3% higher um, at the time um, when they got that mortgage. So then, so where they're at today, I mean, we're probably in line with something that actually is affordable, especially um, considering what the stress test, you know, makes us go through to, to achieve that approval. Yeah, well said and good points all along. And so some, uh, some actionable recommendations that you can take away when we talk about affordability to that point is to take the time and the energy to build out a, a cash flow uh, analysis of your current situation. And that doesn't have to be too complex. Um, it's crazy what just looking at your current situation can do to help you prepare for your budget. Now, obviously, there's things that can come up like, you know, un um, unexpected expenses, you could be seeing a raise that could impact your affordability from that perspective. But at the end of the day, you know, take the time, take the practice, whether you're in a home right now, or whether or not you're looking to buy a home and start to plug the numbers in, we can provide you with a mortgage calculator to work through those numbers. And we even have a cash flow spreadsheet. So if you're an end user, someone who's looking to buy or invest in real estate, and you're trying to get your numbers sorted out, uh, send us a DM on our Instagram, and we'll make sure to get you that link. So you guys can start using that. So let's talk about um, number two, which is uh, timelines for property types. Uh, I'll start off really quickly here and just explain what we mean here. So the idea or concept here when we talk about timelines is realistically, how long do you plan to keep this property before you decide to uh, leverage it or sell it or move up or something of that nature? You know, um, for the last two years, it's been actually wild because we see someone who's bought, you know, 2019 uh, to 2020 to 2021 and it, for three years straight people were seeing you know 20 30 40 50 percent even 100 percent increases in property values and being able to leverage one two three times heck i leveraged my property multiple times over that time span to buy more real estate now we're in a different climate a different market we're seeing a declining a real estate market and so the reality is when we uh, help a client purchase a piece of real estate, one of our recommended piece of advice is, is to, to have the ability to keep that piece of real estate ideally for no less than five years, but uh, specifically seven to 10 years, because then you're, you're guaranteed, obviously, to build that equity in the form of appreciation. Um, you know, obviously, in this market, the, the concept or the idea of a quick flip may not make a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, obviously, there's a little bit more to it. Guys, thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's just if you want to take as much risk out of the transaction as possible, that like 
three to seven year play is kind of key, right? Because that gives a market enough time to circle back and increase, at least come back to initial value if the value does drop over time. And yeah, I mean, if someone called us today and said, I'm going to buy this property and flip it in eight months, I'd probably say like you're taking on quite a bit of risk because the market could be a lot worse. And like if the market is worse, can you weather that mortgage? Can you hold that property long enough until it makes sense, right? And if someone says no, they could be like you could lose your shirt on something like that. Another piece is people building homes, right? A lot of people build, there's builders that build spec homes or, or just people that buy lots and they hire a builder to build a home and sell it in a year. That's another thing that like, you have no idea where the market's gonna be. And believe me, we saw people pay a massive premium on lots, massive premium on build costs, and the market has dramatically changed. And some of these people are gonna be finishing these houses in six months, and the value's not gonna be there, right? So like, you just, you always gotta understand your worst case scenario, and timelines are a big part of that. So like the quick flips, the builds, you know, any quick profit, there's a lot of risk in that. But I think that goes without saying, right? Anything that's gonna be quick money, there's typically higher risk than something that's gonna be a long-term investment. I think for me, the biggest thing comes from a timeline is always going to be what product are you going to attach to that timeline? And that typically comes down to a variable or a fix and just understanding the cost to get out of the product. Like if you ultimately need to sell that home or, you know, hey, I'm buying this home and I know I have, you know, a, a family coming in the next two years or so. And who knows, like who knows what could happen or what your plans are. Ultimately, a lot of people do just buy that, you know first step home which could be a condo or a townhome that's just not going to be suitable for their family in the next two years so knowing how to get out of that product and and when i say product i mean the mortgage that you have uh having a variable in those cases is very important because you can actually break that term and not have a large penalty like we would have on a fixed rate mortgage and and then when it comes to the investor side somebody buying a rental property timelines are typically most people go into a rental property transaction with the with the understanding that this is going to be a long-term investment and i am going to keep this for the long term but what is the first thing you're going to sell if you get into trouble it's typically going to be your your rental property not your primary residence and so just having liquidity to your rental portfolio because you just don't know what the timeline is or, or like just that simple reason we just may not know what our timeline is our intention is long term but what if what if it's not and so again back to variable um this is a push for variable but it's really just a push for flexibility and that's a key as we talk about strategy you know kind of moving forward and, and let's touch on that um in the next part of the conversation which is transactionally speaking so you're looking to buy a piece of real estate but you're also looking to sell a real estate an interesting trend that I've been hearing about over the course of the last three or four weeks is, hey, I want to buy a piece of real estate, but I don't want to sell it until after like I want to hold my property and move into it, which has been super in interesting. Now, most people don't have the luxury to be able to do that to carry the two properties at the same time without obviously a, a, a higher cost than perhaps they hope. Um, but what about those folks that are looking to sell? And then buy in January, February and March, well, they would have to go and fight to find a property first buy it get it under contract and then they'd sell sometimes for more than they even expected well we're in a different world right now where uh, my suggestion for most folks is sell that property first know exactly what you're working with and more importantly time is of the essence like we talked to some people and they're going to take six weeks 12 weeks to to do renovations and, and upgrades well by time you do that your numbers could be off by like a hundred thousand dollars because of the fact that the market changes so quickly so I'm certainly on camp, uh, obviously, sell first right now. Uh, thoughts, guys? Yeah, selling first 
takes the financial risk out of it because like you know your dollars right you know how much money you have you know your house is sold you don't have to worry about that actually happening which right now is a challenge a lot of times it doesn't happen or if, if someone wants to buy it it's for a lot less than you expected um so that takes the financial risk out of it your only risk in that situation is what if i now cannot find the house that i want to buy right so like your risk is where do you go temporarily until you find the right home which to me I mean, everyone's situation is different depending on how many animals and kids you have. But if you can find a short-term rental or stay with family or whatever, like that's not that massive of a risk. It's inconvenient for sure, but it's typically something that people can deal with. Whereas on the flip side, you know, subject to sale has come back. At least we can say that because that's taking the risk out of purchasing first for the most part. But what we're seeing a lot of is people are finding this home and they fall in love with it. And this is, you just see yourself living there and then you go and list your house and it doesn't sell. Right. And then everything collapses and yourself and the real everyone's done all that. And it, it turns out to be for nothing, um, which is really mentally draining on the buyers. Right. Because you do kind of get attached to that property. So there's different ways to look at it. But the subject to sale piece is nice because previously, four or five months ago, if you were buying first, you had the risk of like, what if the market changes tomorrow? And it did like the market changed on a dime in the course of two weeks. And there was a lot of people that couldn't sell their houses and there was private financing and deals falling apart. Like it was a complete mess. So at least we've kind of gotten away from that. I'm still dealing with that on a few situations where a client did uh, buy before selling and they're now selling for a lot less, like um, a considerable amount less than what they expected. And it is going to disrupt their purchase. <laughs> so for me, like that risk just is nowhere near worth the comparison of, of living with family or living in a hotel or, you know, like the inconvenience is definitely the best way to put it. I'd rather be in, I'd rather inconvenient my life than, than deal with that type of risk. Um, so I couldn't agree more, like definitely, definitely sell. Also, I think, I don't know if this has been classified a buyer's market yet publicly, but to me, this is certainly a balanced market and we're going towards a buyer's market so you do have the control as a buyer like there is a lot more inventory at your disposal there is going to be a lot more opportunity from that perspective so um again just another reason to certainly consider selling before buying yeah what's interesting about that on the last point is as you mentioned there from a buyer's perspective you don't have to be in a mad rush but there are still markets to your point dean that are are moving specifically entry level price points. We're still seeing uh, a lot more movement in those particular areas or unique properties. Aside from that, uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. So uh, number four, which is kind of a piggyback on the previous one, and you know we saw a lot of this happening when values were going up, appreciation was going up. Well, the reality is most folks that we're talking to probably haven't bought their home in the last 12 months. So it seems like a lot of people that we're talking about uh, talking to right now about buying and selling bought, you know, two, three, four, five, seven, ten years ago, right? So the conversation is, well, what if my value has gone down? What are my other options here? And we circle back to an option that we talked about plenty in the past and we've had podcast episodes about, which is what if you keep your property as an investment and rent it out? I mean, first things first, then you're not only going to have no commissions or fees to to sell the property, uh, but the second is if your value or your property has devalued and you have the ability from an affordability perspective uh, to hang on to it, chances are uh, you wouldn't be now having to sell it a low and rental rates are coming up. Uh, obviously, we're huge proponents of keeping and owning real estate as it is. So something to consider. And if you really want to let go of it, then sell it when the market picks up in two, three, four, five years. Uh, but in the meantime, continue to grow your equity. And like I just mentioned, with rental rates going up, like, I don't even know, it's not 10%, it must be like 15% right now. Uh, you, you can uh, do quite well from a rental perspective if you are an owner. 
Yeah, I don't have a ton more to add other than it's actually shocking how many times we speak with clients and we're like, would you like to see this option to see if it's possible to keep your property? And a lot of people just don't even think of that. Like it just doesn't seem realistic. Whereas a lot of people, we show them that they absolutely can do that. Um, And, you know, some clients actually don't even understand what the real benefit is. But so just to touch on that quickly, you know, if if we're in a down market, let's say property values appreciate again in two years from now, there's a big wave, which there probably will be. If you own two properties in that market, you have double the appreciation. Plus, you're paying down two mortgages at the same time. And if you're cash flowing, like if you're bringing in more rent than what your costs are on the existing property, you're making some extra money every single month, right? So a lot of people, when they get into that and they have that situation, they don't want to sell that rental property because you think long term again, right? Like eventually that place is going to be paid off. You're going to have a stream of income coming in that can help retirement and you have this massive asset that can be leveraged or sold or passed down to kids or whatever right so i just think education on this is huge and a lot of people come into our conversations not even thinking that it's an option a big piece here is with with values declining to a degree uh, if this is a plan that you want to move forward with you are bought in on this idea or strategy to do it sooner than later like get the refinance established sooner than later establish the value today you know even if this is maybe six months away you're thinking maybe next spring as an example to pull off you know a maneuver like this get the refinance done you know you could even establish just a line of credit a home equity line of credit based on today's value you know the funds are there available to you to draw from for your down payment in the spring or in the winter or whenever you want to do this but we've established value we've established the the balance of the mortgage or or limit of that uh, home equity line of credit today. And I think that's important because um, if we're expecting opportunities in the market, we should expect the value of our homes to, to drop to a degree. Um, so it'd be better to get this established now than, than later. Yeah, and obviously none of us know timeline. Like, like we had a low 2019 and then 2020 happened, right? So we could be seeing a low 2022 and then we could by the end of a year from now or a year and a half from now, see things roaring back too, right? So you know, hard to say exactly, but yeah, you guys hit the nail on the head. So let's, uh, Dean, you started the conversation on this one. We gave a little bit of sneak peek on it, which is uh, picking the right product right now and um, how you're managing it and what that looks like. So there's a, there's a lot to, to unpack here, but since we've done full episodes and we could probably go back to doing a more updated episode on specifically that product in this environment, just generally speaking, being smart about the product you're choosing right now is it's always important but it's really uh it's even more magnified in a rising rate environment when property values are changing and specifically when people are you know constantly making decisions based on the real estate values in this market uh, you know as a as a quick once over right now we've seen interest rates increase from both fixed and variable increase from in the ones and low twos in you know a year from now to the fours and fives um, and, and in addition to that, if you're looking at a lot of the economic predictions, and I mean, like, put whatever stock you want into predictions, half the time, more than half the time, they're wrong, but we could guesstimate that they have a general sense of where things are going. The sense among most uh, economists after, you know, the announcements with the inflation having gone down just slightly is that 12 to 24 months from now, we could be seeing rate cuts. Now, that might be a little bit aggressive. Uh, some are calling for end of 2023, potentially, and some are saying 2024. Uh, this would obviously mean that fixed rates and variable rates would both come down within 12 to 24 months. So 
our thought process on that is to to watch out because you got to remember that the big banks and a lot of these um, online lenders and so forth are going to try to call you to lock you into fixed rates and terms and that are long uh, to, out of fear as opposed to out of a, an analytical decision because it makes sense for them and it puts them in a great situation. So what are you doing and how are you managing that is a big part of our conversation right now among mortgages. Where I would touch on is obviously flexibility is always key for me and, and the other example I I talk about because we've seen a lot of this is people moving to a different town, like people moving from BC to say Calgary, Alberta, or, or, or a town that they just, you know, it's far away from home, let's say, let's just say that. And um, they don't know what to expect. It is a new job. It's a new town. It's a new everything. And what if it doesn't work out? Meaning what if you just don't like it there? Uh, you know, what is your play to get out of there? And, and so I always say, if anyone's moving to a new town or, or a new environment, uh, consider the flexible option of a variable just so you can actually exit if you have to. Um, but on the flip side of this, like we do have the the same government in power for the next three years. Like people don't realize that we just actually did a election uh, recently. <laughs> so um, this government is in power for the foreseeable future. And so if you have any concerns about how they're managing, you know, our the Bank of Canada and where everything is going from that perspective, if there is any sort of issues with the supply chain, if there's another war that breaks out, inflation will go right back up. So yeah, we had one month of inflation down and the government's telling us they want to see four consecutive months of it being down before they'll stop raising rates, not just when are rates going to go down. This is just about stopping the raise. So if we don't see that or we see any sort of issues with this supply chain again, uh, we should expect rates to continue to go up, especially with the government we have. I mean, whether you like, again, this isn't about do you support the Trudeau government or not? This is just this is just what they're telling us. And the one thing I can give them credit for is they've been pretty transparent. They've done what they said they're going to do all the way back from the pandemic when it comes to the Bank of Canada rates. They said they were going to cut them and they did cut them and they continue to cut them. And then they said they were going to go up and they have gone up. So um, just something to keep in mind. Yeah, just my piece on products. Those are all really good points. Uh, I think anybody, no matter what your situation is, you have to understand the products thoroughly. And that's where we come in, right? Like we can't tell everyone take a variable or take a fix because everyone's situation is different. Everyone's personality is different. Everyone's risk tolerance level is different. There could be someone that a variable makes so much sense for, but it's just not the product for them because they're not going to sleep at night and they're going to be stressed. And it's going to cause anxiety. So like you just have to really, really understand how these products work what your worst case scenarios are. Like if you're going into a variable, but it's affordability is a concern, look at a static, right? If you're going fixed, but you don't like the long-term play, you can jump into a one year, two year, three year, right? Like there's all these different products that people can jump into. So I think just education is so important. You kind of got to go with your gut from there, right? Yeah, well said. And we did an entire episode on this. So if you guys didn't catch it, uh, last episode, number 130, uh, listen to that one where we talk about how to pick a mortgage product. To, or no, it was 129. Sorry, 129, I believe. Uh, anyways, it'll be linked below. We talked all about this fun stuff. So uh, number seven, uh, porting. And what does that look like? So uh, realistically, if you don't know what a port is, it's something that um, I wouldn't say a lot of people use it, but it is something to consider. A port is basically when you take a mortgage uh, from one particular property uh, and, and you move it to another property. So for example, if you're selling your home and moving to another home in a different city or location, assuming that product still uh, applies and you can qualify for it, you may be able to port that mortgage. Yeah, just really quickly on that point, the reason that we probably don't see porting that often, I'm just 
lot of reasons. Number one, we were in a low rate environment for a number of years, so a lot of people wanted to take advantage of that. Um, number two, with the stress test, it's more challenging for people to qualify often for a port because they either A, want to take on more money, or maybe they just want to extend the payments or reduce the payments for a variety of reasons. But there are certain lenders that are a little bit more friendly about moving your mortgage to another property and they have programs for that. So when we're talking to clients, we will look at that as one of the options that they could consider seeing if it makes sense to instead of you know breaking that 1.9% rate to move over and pay 5%. Could we keep it? Could we not? Like, like I said, it's it's subjective to someone's personal circumstance, but at least something to consider or look at in this market. I would say a port is obviously going to be a good feature for somebody that's going into a fixed rate term and wants to try to avoid penalties and be able to move that mortgage to the next property. But to your point, it definitely it's very specific situations. And, and I, I go back to the person leaving town because I'm seeing a lot of that that is a very different situation. And that's very difficult to make a port work when you're coming back because you mentioned it, Alex, you have to qualify. And so when you're moving back to town, there's a good chance you don't have that same job. You may be on probation with the job you're getting back in BC or what have you. Um, so now you no longer qualify for the port and now you are triggered a, a penalty or just let's just say, you know, maybe you're selling in a down market wherever you're leaving. And it just ultimately doesn't work to just buy a house right away. It might be like another, hey, I got to rent for a year or two. Well, the port, you only have, I believe, depending on the lender, four months, three three months to four months, depending on the lender to actually initiate the port. Uh, so, you know, it's just kind of down the theme of it's challenging to make it work. It is very specific situations. And uh, I think a lot of bankers... Um, and I, I don't blame them. I think it's just a poor education from the top down. They don't really realize how a poor works within their own institution. And people get sold the fact that, hey, you can just port your mortgage. It's easy, but it, it's really not. Port is treated like a brand new mortgage. Just for everyone listening, you have to requalify just like it's a new loan. And then if someone was porting, say, a $500,000 mortgage at 2%, but they needed a $750,000 loan, you would be getting your 500,000 at your current rate for the duration of the term left. And they would be giving you an additional 250,000 to make up the total at current rates. And they would blend that all together and you would end up somewhere in the middle if achievable, right? And there's a lot of reasons, like you guys already touched on a few, but you know, maybe someone wants to upsize into a house with a suite, right? And they might be with a lender currently that doesn't have a great rental program and they need to move to a different lender to get that qualification. So there's a lot of reasons that it doesn't work. But the reason I wanted to bring up this one today is because there's a lot of people that are like, no, I don't want to sell my house. I don't want to move because I have a great rate right now. Just so you know, like there could be an option to move that over and increase, right? And you could, you could maintain that rate and potentially avoid penalties if it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. These are uh, such good points. And every situation is very unique here. So just, again, this is why you want to consult and not just get, uh, you know, Google it up or look for answers just based on the uh, the uniqueness of it. Uh, number eight, and this is something that we're a huge advocate of, knowing that we're professionals that obviously obsess over real estate lending money and more obviously doing a freaking podcast on this stuff. We're a huge advocates of working with professionals on the real estate side. <laughs> Listen, if you look on TikTok, you'd think that real estate agents are the lowest of the low, like lower than what we used to think of like car salesmen back in the day. And it's actually wild how uh, real estate agents have been vilified in the market. And honestly, like we know and we work with uh, hundreds of real estate agents on a monthly basis that we talk to. And 
95% uh, of them are incredible people and work very hard and care a lot about what they do. But it's actually shocking sometimes to see the type of people that are actually actively working and advising people. And so if you're someone looking to buy or sell, um, you make sure that you're working with someone who's not only a real estate agent, but someone who has experience and can actually educate you and to explain to you the strategy around what you're doing, why you're doing, and, and is connected with someone like us that can actually help them to understand that side. They shouldn't be teaching you or educating you on the mortgage market, but they should be focused in understanding at least the basics so that they can educate you. And I can't profess enough working with someone who's professional and, and takes it like a career. Don't just work with your Uncle Bob because he's giving you, and no offense to Uncle Bob, if Uncle Bob's an awesome realtor, then great, but don't just work with some guy because he is you know, obviously a family friend or something like that. And again, family friends are great, so I don't want to come off as not good, but find somebody pro, finding somebody who does this for a living, who gives a crap about your situation, who's going to update you, who's going to educate you and take it seriously. This is a lot of money and it's a big transaction and it, and there's just, there's great people out there, but there's also people who probably don't deserve your business. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is experience, right? Like, and, and not to knock newer agents or agents that don't do a ton of business, but you talk to someone that does 40 or 50 transactions in a year. Like they are active in these markets. They see the changes, they feel the changes. They need to adapt for every single buyer and every single seller that they're working with. Whereas if you're talking to someone that's relatively new doing, you know, two deals a year, sure, you know, they could probably educate the hell out of themselves by talking with other agents, but they don't have that hands-on experience and they might not have the strategy that, you know, the, the busy type agent would. So I think that's a, a key consideration as well, especially in a market like this. I'll play devil's advocate to a degree, and I think that you're right in many stages. I will say that we always measure experience based on how, how much you're doing and the transactional experience as opposed to the years. Uh, I think you, there's some good questions that you can ask to find out what they're actively doing. As you mentioned, uh, Derek, are they actively working with clients? Have they worked in this market? Uh, do they have the ability to advise you? That's, that's really key and important. If you're a listener of the podcast and you're looking for a recommendation for someone that we would work with in your city of choice, we're connected to people all over uh, BC, Alberta, and even in some places uh, outside of that as well. So just let us know and we'll be happy to make an introduction for you. So nine mentally prepare for worst case scenarios and removing the emotions uh, this is a tough one as a real estate as a as a whole if it's not investment which we talk a lot about investment in real estate but real estate as a whole is an is a very emotional decision for a lot of people they're doing it because they just had a child and they're looking for more space or there was a death or a divorce or it's a very first home or you know, downsizing in so many situations it's often attached to something extremely emotional and for that reason people make decisions in most cases like quite a few cases they make decisions that are absolutely emotionally charged and have zero uh, bearing on what they could or should do or theoretically what the best case scenario is they're just you know the stress levels are through the roof we're, we're basically glorified therapists on many days thoughts on preparing for that dean I mean, we talked about this during the time where people were going subject free and how to prepare for the worst case in that market. And of course, I'd be blown away if somebody's doing that nowadays. But um, on the flip side of that, it was just kind of what we were talking about earlier around selling before buying. Like, if you really feel that's necessary, then you 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 just need to know what the worst case scenario is. And the worst case scenario might be selling your home for a lot less than what you expected. And that might mean that's going to disrupt the amount of money you have for a down payment. 
And then that could lead to, uh, you know, the ability to just not have the ability to um, close on the property that you're, you've agreed to purchase. So, you know, how do you prepare? I mean, family, family, you know, as a, as a support piece for, for extra cash if needed, if you're short. Um, I'd say that's probably number one is just being able to shore up extra resources when it comes to cash available if you ultimately sell for for less than than you're expecting and so that just goes right back to the you know the the scenario of selling before you're buying so you know if you really do believe that's that's what's necessary for you just understand the risks to that um there there are some interesting uh products out there and maybe this is something we can touch on down the road but there there are some vendors out there that that are real estate agents that will actually agree to buy your home um you know that's probably a you know a takeaway for us to bring on another guest uh that could speak to that directly, but there are ways to kind of mitigate this. Cause I know there's there, I just, I know for a fact, people just have to sell or people have to have their home while they're moving for health reasons or what have you. So, um, you know, this isn't to scare you and just be like, Hey, don't do this. If you, if you ultimately, you know, can't do it another way, um, just reach out. There are, there are services to help you through this, but again, just preparing for it if you're going to go down that road. Yeah. And luckily again, you know, we're in a market where, a lot of the risk is removed, even if you're buying before you sell, right? And I think in that scenario, if you have subject to sale, your worst case scenario is you're not selling or you're not selling for enough and it doesn't work, right? Like you got to kind of be okay with that as much as obviously everyone involved, us, your realtor, you guys, uh, you obviously want to make it happen. You just got to be aware that it might not because of the market and you can't let that stuff beat you up, right? There's going to be another house. It might not be meant to be. Um, but you got to kind of have that in the back of your mind going into a market like this, right? I think this market from a risk standpoint is dramatically lower than the market that we were in for the last two years, right? It's just a different type of risk and a different type of emotion that's involved. Yeah, well said. Well said. There's risk in every single market. It's just a matter of what type of risk. And we, we try to very hard to coach our clients as we know you're going through a, 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 in many situations like an emotional experience. But here are the points at which we can remove the emotion and here's how to do it. Let's try it. We, we try to be that kind of like calm amid the storm of what's going on. And that's the best way to think about it. Don't just make a, a jerk reaction. Let's obviously understand the situation and what the ramifications of making certain decisions are. So last but not least, interest rates, we talked about it, they're up, uh, property values are down. How do we look at this in a different manner? How do we look at this positively? Um, I was just reading a, a news article that came to our inbox that we actually subscribe to from an, uh, uh, on a monthly basis. And, and specifically, he was giving the numbers here. So in, in Canada, the average uh, uh, mortgage or is down, believe it or not, our house price is down by 186,000. So let me just restate that again. The average house prices are down by 186,000. Well, mortgage payments are costing approximately 10% more. Now, the interesting fact there is that a lot of people think that because rates have gone up double or triple that rates are, you know, their monthly payments are up double, triple. That's not the case. So remember, if you see those rates, your payments not tripling. The average payments are up about 10% more right? But the average price are down 186. So, so the reality is, is, you know, in many circumstances, budgetary considerations haven't changed. So your cost hasn't changed dramatically. But you, we always talk about this, you can't change the price of the property, you can only change the mortgage rate. So we always want to think about the fact that you've paid for this property one time, can you obviously get yourself in a situation where you could restructure your loan in one or two or three years? And what would that look like for you? Yeah. And again, like there's so many unknowns in this market. You know, I think everyone assumes that the market will come back and I'm sure it will because historically it always does. So that's a huge consideration. And then on the flip side to that, there's also a strong belief that rates will come back down, right? So we're talking about high interest rates that are likely to come back down. We're talking low purchase prices, 
or property values that are expected to come back up. So like there's nothing but benefit in those two considerations, right? So buying right now, I think we circle back to number one, affordability, as much as the rate might not be pretty, if it's affordable for a certain length of time and you can make it work for a couple of years, you know, again, there's unknowns, but it's very likely we're gonna be back into cheaper rates. And I personally believe that when we start to see rates start to trickle down, we're gonna have a massive influx of, of buyers again. Cause like us alone, we probably have 150 people that are pre-approved and they're just sitting, waiting, right? Watching, waiting for the right time. And there's gonna be a mountain of people that are jumping into this market, which is gonna drive prices right back up. The history show tells us that that's exactly what would occur. Um, again, can we rely on history? I mean, it's hard to say just because we're dealing with different things that we probably weren't dealing with back in, you know, the late nineties and, and throughout the, the early two thousands. But, um, what that does show us is that when we went through these rate hike cycles, it did come down. We were typically in these cycles for a 13 month period of time. And, and we usually start, saw the rates to start to fall about, you know, within six to 12 months after the peak of those cycles. So um, if that does repeat itself, then, you know, we can certainly expect a, a drop in rates. And, and obviously, to your point, more buyers, more, upper, you know, more people just, you know, considering buying and, and potentially another boom in the market. And based on where we're seeing values, I mean, like values have come down. There's no doubt about that. Values have come down based on where we're at or where we were at even just in February of this year. I mean, we've seen a lot of prices, price points come down. So, you know, if those continue to trickle down and then we see those that, you know, the rates go, go down in addition to that, then, you know, we could probably see a, a pretty big uptick in, in values. Yeah. And I think just last consideration from my end is as much as property values are declining, we also saw like a 50% increase over the course of 24 months. Right. So, property values go up 50%, they're coming back down 15, 20. Like realistically, if you've been in this market for three to five years, you're still up and things are still good, right? So lots of considerations, um, we'll wrap it up there. So that was uh, top 10 considerations when purchasing in this market. Again, I think a lot of these uh, topics can be taken into consider consideration in any market, maybe with some minor tweaks. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up here. And if you guys enjoyed the show, definitely leave us a review and uh, looking forward to the next one.